It is a real joy to have Dr. Eddie Moody with us on the Ray of Hope Online Ministries podcast today. I appreciate him so very much. Uh, for those of you that don't know Dr. Moody, uh, he is the Executive Secretary of the National Association of Free Will Baptist, and uh, he and I are both from Kinston, North Carolina. And uh, Dr. Moody, thank you for taking a few moments to be with us today. Hey, it's good to be with you, Daryl, and uh, Kinston probably a little warmer than it is where you're at today, I suspect. I imagine it is. It's a little chilly here in Erie, Pennsylvania, but um, uh, Dr. Moody, we got a, a, a difficult subject to talk about today, and I appreciate you being willing to address this issue. Uh, it, it's an issue that I think has affected almost every family in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and that is the issue of pornography. And uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because of your background. Um, not, not everybody may know, but uh, you have a master's in clinical psychology, uh, PhD in counselor education, and uh, you've served as a professor. And so you've probably uh, dealt with this issue from a lot of different perspectives, I would imagine, throughout your ministry. And uh, so I appreciate you taking a few min minutes today to talk to us about this subject. Well, I'm glad to do it. It's good to be with you, and I appreciate you taking on this difficult topic, my friend. Um, I, I want to kind of ask a few questions, and, and maybe you can help us understand a little bit from your background um, how pornography affects people um, from an emotional standpoint, a mental standpoint, even physically and certainly spiritually. I'm not sure what order you want to take those in, but but just share with us a little bit um, how pornography affects people in general. Well, it really impacts everybody or people on all levels of their life. And so the first area where I worked or dealt a little bit with pornography was when I worked with sex offenders. And so when we were working with sex offenders, we always started with a, a basically a sexual history, tried to figure out. Uh, how they got to the point where they had abused or raped several people and so forth. And so pornography is something that always came up. And so what you saw with in those particular situations was it shaped the way they viewed sex. It shaped them in many ways and led to some of the uh, where else would one learn about some of the activities that they had learned about was but through pornography. So it has a shaping facet to it where it it gives people an idea about what sex is and it's not it's not true it's not what real intimacy is about as is taught by the bible and so because of that it impacts people interpersonally uh, it impacts them emotionally uh, i will mention interpersonally there is a psychologist by the name of philip zimbardo that's not would not be considered really a friend of Christianity, but he says that pornography is destroying men, destroying young men. So he says the interpersonal aspect is it puts them in a situation where, where guys cannot communicate with the opposite sex. And so you see it shaping people's views of sex. You see it, it impacts people interpersonally, the way they treat the opposite sex, the way they think of them as uh not so much as a person, but as a thing, as an object. Um, and sometimes you'll even see them becoming more irritable or, or, or easily upset with people of the opposite sex. Um, the other thing I might say about 
it is people getting often will get engaged in pornography when they're down, when they're when they're kind of low. And so when they start to use pornography, it impacts their brain, it impacts their body, and it makes it more difficult for them to have genuine intimacy as described by the Bible. And so that's a little bit confusing, but it keeps them kind of in this cycle where they're using pornography to get excited, if you will. And, um, and really it's hard for them to find a way out of those particular circumstances. Talk to other individuals about this issue. And one of the things that I've heard brought up, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong or elaborate on this, if this is true, is there's kind of pathways in the brain that uh, pornography, uh, much like, I guess, drugs I've heard, can affect is that is that true and if so can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah so like let's say someone's into gaming or someone's into gambling um there's an excitement to that so there's there are addictive behaviors that are just behaviors there are substances one can use that lead to addictions as well but really with all addictions you're talking about neurotransmitters and you're usually talking about the neurotransmitter dopamine sometimes norepinephrine but like with pornography, it's just, it's a whole lot like when someone is gambling and they get that high, you know, when they're taking great risk. And so, especially when a person is beginning with pornography, they will have a, a rush of dopamine to in their brain. And just like with any other addiction, um, that it, it will happen where you have to engage in the addiction to get the same high or to get the same reaction from your neurotransmitters. And so you'll be talking to someone that's, um, that uses pornography and they'll talk about having a headache. And that's what, that's part of what's happening uh, in your brain. You have neurons, which are brain cells, and then you have a synapse, which is where it's kind of like a, uh, an area between the two brain cells. And they use an electrical impulse for one to impact the other. And so what's happening is these neurons are firing and they're firing at such a rapid place that it's creating a headache for the person, you know, in their brain. Now, what happens is they, they kind of get hardened, just like with any other substance, it takes more of the substance to have the, uh, the same high uh, in the future. They develop tolerance so the same kind of thing happens with pornography. And if people engage in it long enough, they'll get to a point where some people really can't have genuine intimacy uh, without pornography. So it is definitely impacts people physically. I will say the scriptures told us this, you know, in Romans chapter one, he talks about sexual sin. And in that passage, we think about, you know, homosexuality, where he says he gave them over to a debased or a reprobate mind to do those things which were unseemly but what paul is telling us there is sin impacts your brain so just like alcohol has an impact on your brain uh, looking at pornography or uh, and pornography is a lot like gambling i keep using those almost interchangeably but that kind of excitement and then someone has to continue to do that kind of thing to try to get excited again but it's never the same kind of excitement that they had had in the past. So it, it is, um, we, we used to describe it as an entanglement. It is, and for us, it's, we should probably think of it as, as an entangling sin. And for those out there that, and I know it, it seems to be affecting 
people younger and younger as people have more access to things. Uh, when you and I were younger, uh, the access to that was very limited. It was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't as, I guess, uh, accessible um, as it is now with the internet and, and smartphones and those kind of things. But young people, uh, you know, the enemy doesn't want us to think about the future consequences and future impact that our actions today might have on those future relationships. And I know you, you mentioned it briefly, but could you elaborate a little bit more on how what this particular sin uh, or, or sin, that's what it is, but, but mm. struggle as well can affect those future relationships uh, negatively down the road? Well, it definitely appears to inhibit social interaction. You know, uh, there's a passage in Ezekiel that liberal theologians have misused in the past where, um, they, where Ezekiel talks about how Sodom mistreated people and they had luxury and all of that. And um, if you think about the way this kind of sin impacts people, it impacts the way they treat other people. And so, for example, someone that engages in sexual sin it's not just that, but they tend to look at people as objects. And so they, they mistreat people. They only think about how people look and are not thinking about them as a person that's an image bearer of the Lord. And so when people are entangled in this, then they're, they're measuring their spouse or their, or the people in their lives up to these particular uh, images that they have seen and they're unrealistic images. And, they are also in a dark world, if you will, that's just, as you mentioned, it's sinful. And so it's something that drags them down. It's not leading to purity, uh, you know, like a Philippians chapter four, eight um, verse, but it's leading them away from that. And so it impacts their interpersonal relationships with other people. And then as we think about what we're dealing with today, you've got younger people that are really inhibited in their social interaction. Uh, you've got, as they get older, they don't really understand intimacy. They have learned wrong things. They've learned things that are incorrect. And so if you're in a counseling setting, you've really got to reteach that. If you're in just a, a regular type environment, um, they have, they lose so much uh, that they would have had otherwise. And I'll give you an example. Several years ago, there was someone trying to do a study on pornography, and they couldn't even find a, a sample that hadn't used pornography. So they were, they were limited in that, and, and they kept working with that. And so they basically came up with their own sample, if you will, that was not using pornography. And what they found was the guys that quit using it became, for lack of a better term, smarter. I mean, they were able to perform math problems they couldn't previously. They were able to learn languages that they couldn't previously uh, and have a lot of creativity. And so if you think about it, it's not just a sexual sin. It's something that permeates and goes into every part of a person's life. And it truly does impact their mind. It truly is changing their brain. And um, it takes some time for someone to recover from that after stopping using it but there are job implications, there's interpersonal, there's marriage implications, there's just a list of things that 
that we probably have no idea about because we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg when we really study pornography. So I mentioned a little bit about the fact that it's so accessible today and um, my children are already grown and, and, and um, uh, but I, I think about, you know, the other parents that are out there um, that are still raising their children and uh, in this culture, um, it's, you almost say it's almost nearly impossible to completely shelter your children from, from that. Um, but what can we do as parents to help our children and help them to have a healthy view of sexuality if they have been exposed to that unhealthy view? Well, you mentioned it earlier, how it's so much different than it was like when we were growing up. So when we were growing up, you know, there's pornographic magazines, then there's pornographic movies, videos, and so forth. And now it's, it's accessible to someone just by picking up their phone. And so that has a lot of implications because it means someone can become addicted, if you will, or entangled, if you will, so much quicker. So the first thing I would say as a parent, I would try to be proactive. And I'm trying to teach a child from the very beginning about purity, about how a person is made in the image of God, how we view an individual that way, as opposed to the way that they look. And so I'm, I'm really doing my own sex education, if you will, at home. And I'm getting on that very, very early. I'm starting really quick with kids and, and explaining to them, you know, let's focus on what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about intimacy. And I'm trying to get to them before other people begin to come into their life or things that they see um, in the media. Uh, it begins to teach them about um, about sexuality. The next thing is I probably limit when uh, they get a phone. So uh, videos, you know, they have to, they sneak around or they happen to be watching something and it pops up. And so you've got better control. But I, if, as a parent, I would pay very close attention and think it through as to when I allowed my child to have a phone. And then I'm thinking about does it have internet access? And now they are all smartphones and they tend to. Uh, so I, I don't let them have a phone just because everyone else has that. I've set up real clear parameters when they do have a phone. And I'm real aware of that. Another thing is just watching the computer. So now, you know, in a lot of our schools, we've done away with textbooks. Everything's on a tablet. Everything's on a computer. So I'm, I'm talking to my kids about parameters when they're on their phone, when they're on a computer, when they're on a tablet. And I'm teaching them that they do that only in private places. And we set up that kind of um, situation in our own home. This is where we're on our computer. We don't take our computer to our room. We don't take our phone to our room. Uh, we're keeping things in a, very, in a very public environment. And so as a parent, I'm trying to be the one to teach them about sexuality. And I'm going ahead and I'm teaching them about how to avoid addictions, if you will, and how to help others with addictions. And so, you know, I, I teach a Bible lesson as I am a parent. You know, I've, hopefully I'm talking to them about the Lord before they go to bed. One night we read uh, 2 Samuel 11, you know, and it talks about it, it happened, you know, in the in the time when kings went out to battle, David stays home, he's 
sleeping in all day. And I go through that process with them. And what happened to David? How to get on track? He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He's sleeping in until late in the afternoon, you know, um, and then he's looking. And then when he sees, he doesn't just immediately flee. He stays and he lingers. And so I'm talking to them about how to, how to get away from that kind of sin. I'm trying to prevent it if I can, but I know they're going to, they're going to have to face it themselves. And so I'm trying to give them the, the, the points of that. And I'll just go through that for a minute, Daryl. There's always these seemingly unimportant decisions people make that lead to problems. And so in the second Samuel 11, uh, David decides that he's going to stay home. He's not out battling uh, when kings were doing that. So that's a seemingly unimportant decision. Another one was when he decided to stay in bed and didn't get up and get working. A seemingly unimportant decision. And so what are the seemingly unimportant decisions I make that put me on a trajectory toward these kinds of sins? And so when someone's addicted or entangled in one of these activities, there's usually something they see that triggers them. Then they engage in particular behavior, and then they feel like they're going down some, some road that they can't really get off of too easily. And they really can't uh, once they go down that, once they start that particular trajectory. So I'm trying to talk to my kids about that from the very beginning. Those, that's, that's great, great advice. And those are some of the things that we try to do when our, with our kids when they were younger and, and coming along. Um, but what about those kids that have been exposed? The, the kids that maybe the parent has no idea that they're yeah. already viewing and, and the parent finds out. Uh, there's so many emotions that, that go through your mind and heart when you find out your child is, is, has been exposed to that what can those parents do that, you know, maybe, the, you know, a friend shared something with them or, yeah. you know, they've, they've been able to, to find that on their own. What, what, what would you say to those parents? Well, I would say to those parents, and I'd also say to the person listening that's, that has this issue, you're not alone. You know, the kids are not alone. The parents are not alone. This is something everybody's facing on some level. And as readers of the Bible, Solomon dealt with this. David dealt with this. Uh, there's example after example, you know, of course, Samson and so forth of people who dealt with these kinds of things. And so first I'd say, let's take a deep breath and, and let's realize that this is the, the world that we're in. However, we have a God that forgives. We have a God that takes people and reshapes people. We have a God that will help us find a way out. And so I would encourage them to to work with their kids in a loving and a graceful manner, but also with certain consequences and helping them in their way out. And so one thing I would bring up is uh, you think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about lust. And uh, it's kind of ironic. Uh, back in the day, when, you're, when I was dealing with sex offenders, people would sometimes make fun of that and say, Jesus equated adultery with lust. Yes, he did. Because as you think about the brain, the brain does not know the difference. And so as you read through that passage, the Lord said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Your right eye offends you, pluck it out and so forth. Now, we're not wanting people to cut their hands off. But then again, what Jesus is saying is you have to take drastic steps sometimes to deal with sin. And he is talking about these kinds of sins uh, if you think about the context. So 
if I have a kid that's engaged in this and I learn about it, then there's consequences. And so a phone, a smartphone may not be for them. You know, internet access may not be for them. Uh, if I'm struggling with this, uh, that it may not be for me to be able to, I'm going to have to use a, a, a writing tablet or something else. So I'm making some hard choices about what it is I'm going to do and, and how I'm going to do it. The other thing, if you go back and, and we look in the Bible, we see connections with the wrong place and wrong people. And so like uh, Ammon, when he uh, rapes Tamar, he has been around a fellow that says that's a, that's a fine thing to do. You know, uh, Samson is always hanging out with the Philistines when he, he's down there with Delilah, he's down there with Philistine friends. And so wrong places, wrong people, and we have some wrong behaviors that are off the result. So we're going through and we're looking at this holistically. Yes, we're doing things about the phone or the laptop or whatever the mechanism is that they were using, but we're setting up a plan for not to do that. And usually that's going to involve, it's going to impact friends, it's going to impact places that we're at, and it's going to impact, you know, how we're feeding the spirit as opposed to the flesh. And we kind of walk our kids or ourselves through that process. We repent, we get clean, we set up a plan for how to uh, keep from doing that behavior again. And the Lord redeems us. The Lord cleanses us of that and actually uh, will help us to in turn help other people, uh, other parents, other kids, uh, to not have that same problem or be entangled in it in the same way. I want to ask you about a spouse uh, mm -hmm. who's maybe dealing with this. Uh, and I know most of us used to think at least that pornography was more of a male problem. And I think it probably percentage wise is a male problem. But um, I've heard in recent years that it seems to be becoming more and more of a female problem as well. Before we get to the spouse issue, have you heard that or seen that in your research? And if so, can you address that a little bit? It's definitely growing as females. You know, I go back to the sex offenders. We probably had three times, three times more males than we did females. So it was a rarer thing. But um, a way to think about is like the movie Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever that came out several years ago. That was a female thing. You know, uh, it was probably more female driven than male. So you're seeing more of it. I will say, though, it still seems to be more of a problem with men than, than women. And it's probably the reason we see the rise with females struggling with it is uh, curiosity and then just the, what's happening as far as uh, with females in general in this particular culture that we're in today. Is there a reason for that? Well, just or kind of a blurring of the you know, you, you, we have in our culture where they're really trying to blur the lines, you know, a bit. And I think sometimes for females, it's a curiosity situation. Um, sometimes it's put up like you should be doing this as, as much as, as anyone else. Um, still though, it seems like, you know, when you, you know, there's federal laws against uh, child pornography and things like that. And we, we, they actually go to federal prisons. There's one in Butner, North Carolina, and they're all guys, you know, so um, it does still seem like the, the people that are 
largely engaged in this. It's definitely more of a male issue than a female issue, though it is rising and it's just a degeneration of the society as a whole, I would say. But as far as it being more of a male issue, is there a, a psychological reason for that being more prevalently prevalent in males? Well, you know, testosterone and all that, but um, which I know females have testosterone too. But but I think part of it is, you know, we do think about men and women truly are different. So women are more of a relational way. So like women, you know, not the stereotype, but more likely to like Hallmark movies or um, uh, this guy that lives close to where we used to live in Newburn. Um, oh, what is his name? Wrote all those uh, sparks. Uh, uh, you know, um, you know who I'm talking about. Um, he's got a, anyway, there's the, he wrote the notebook and all that. So they're more into those things, kind of interpersonal thing and the, and, and in general, but guys are more, you know, definitely visual and you can, you can see it in the scripture, you know, uh, Ham sees something, you know, David sees Bathsheba, uh, uh, you see it over and over again. So men really are more attuned to what they see. Females, it tends to be more of a, it, it does still be, tend to be some sort of relationship thing um, than it would be with guys. So, so it's different. It seems different. Now, I'll go back like the female sex offenders. Um, they had always abused kids. You know, they had not went out and forcibly rape somebody, at least the ones I dealt with. So they're definitely a different kind of person than, than the guys tend to be. Question. A wife uh, finds out that her husband's struggling with pornography or discovers that he's been looking at pornography. Um, what would you say to her? What help uh, can she seek um, and then also maybe talk to the wife who has addressed this issue and the husband refuses to get help. Well, ooh, that's a whole bunch of things there. So first of all, everyone should know that healthy sexual relationships is the best way to deal with pornography. And, and so everyone needs to have that in the back of their mind when a man and a woman are married to each other and they have healthy, intimate relationships you know, the, the, the way the Bible really teaches us, then you're less likely to have, you know, pornography to creep in and be a problem and so forth. And out in the secular world, you'll hear people say things like, hey, it's fine to use pornography, you know, when you're away or whatever. So uh, they're wrong, but um, healthy, intimate relationships between a man and a woman that are married together is the is the best thing. Now, what happens is when people are, when a guy usually is using pornography or it could be a woman, it's going to get into that sexual relationship and it's going to inhibit uh, its effectiveness. So we want them to have an honest discussion about it. We want the wife or the husband to talk honestly about it, to try to deal with it. We would like for them to seek Christian counseling about it. So there are sex therapists. I would only recommend that they would go to someone that would be um, a Christian. And we do have Christian counselors that are. And so that would be one way of, of taking that and dealing with it. But I think the first thing is, come back, try to have an open, honest discussion about it, work 
with each other, hold him accountable, you know, like uh, check behind him. You want to check his phone, you want to check his computer, or it may be that those things are uh, removed. You also would like for, I'm saying him because it usually is a he, have an accountability partner where they know they're going to look them in the eye and say, tell me, tell me what you've been doing today. Ask them how they've been spending their time. And I will say, wives especially get to be pretty astute at this. And if their husband is uh, perhaps doing something, they tend to just, they tend to kind of know it. And I encourage them to go ahead and follow through with that. If you sense that something's not right, I think that's a part of the way the Lord has made you. And probably what's happening is you're seeing certain cues that are tipping you off that something's not just right. So go ahead and investigate it. Go ahead and uh, question a little bit. And he may deny it, but you have you have kind of shot a fired a shot across the bow where that might be enough to get him to turn around, to get back on track. And for a person that struggles with any kind of entangling sin, they have to have what we used to call in the counseling world a relapse prevention plan. And so they're never saying something like, I asked God to forgive me of that, and that's now gone. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yes, they ask God to forgive them, but they're constantly on the alert that that's a weakness for them, and they could fall right back into it uh, were it not for really working their relapse prevention plan. And so they talk that through with their wife uh, or husband, if it's the lady having the difficulty, and continue to really work on that. If they don't accept that they've got an issue, really, this is one of those things where you force it. You know, it's a Matthew 18 situation. It's a confrontation situation, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. And that's where you bring others in because it is the kind of sin that can grow into something uh, far, it can continue to grow. And remember, Jesus equated it with adultery. So it's the kind of thing that we have to take seriously. And we're never, we haven't accomplished anything if the person uh, doesn't take it seriously. So really, when someone is, is repenting of this, they're praying Psalm 32, they're praying Psalm 51 as their own, and that's David dealing with Bathsheba, the aftermath, and he, he owns it, he says he did it, he asked for forgiveness, and that's what we want to see, and then we want to see them taking serious steps to keep from re-engaging in this particular behavior. Great advice. Um, what would you say to the woman, or, or man, I suppose, but the woman in particular, um, who feels like they do have a healthy intimacy, um, but now she feels guilty because there must be something lacking in me. There must be, you know, is there, what's wrong with me? It's yeah. Driving him to that. Yeah. Um, because we, we know that, um, there could be, you know, a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, but unfortunately he is still, pursuing you know things outside of god's plan yeah it's not about it, her so we're not going to and there'll be some guys that will actually say that you know if you had done such and such then i wouldn't have done such and such and so first of all we do have in the back of our mind we want to have healthy sexual relations however we are not at fault for what has happened and so 
uh, for them, and this could this can deteriorate into something terrible, you know. So sometimes a woman may think, well, well, you know, or or a guy, you know, may feel like they're inadequate, and then that leads to all kinds of self-esteem issues, and really that can spiral into something far, far worse where they don't even want to have intimate relationships anymore. And so what I would say to them is this is not about you. You know, this is not your, this is not your problem. You're trying to help with it. You're trying to address it, but this is his decision. Or if in the case of a lady doing this, it's her decision. She did this. So yes, you're trying to help them to not engage in this, but this is not something you've done. And not to allow it to break you down and make you feel like you're inferior. So go back and look at Psalm 139. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and, and you're marvelous. That's what the scripture says. So that's who the Lord sees you as. That's who your spouse should see you as as well if they've got a proper godly uh, image of you. And so I would say over and over again, this is not your fault. This is not something that you have created. And no matter what, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful in God's eyes, and not let this be something that tears you down into thinking that you're somehow inferior. I also say if they begin to think that, it's a dangerous thing, because then when they're being intimate, they're thinking, oh, no, I'm not this or I'm not that. And, and that does not work for intimacy, you know. Uh, that's that's not what the Bible has taught us. The Bible is really this, you know, Song of Solomon is really the way this marital relationship should be. And so, if you're, you know, having having difficulties in this area and thinking about your your being inferior, or is he thinking about someone else, or is she thinking about someone else? That's that's not where we want to be. That's completely unhealthy. We want you to just be concentrating on each other your relationship with each other, and the rest of it will fall into place. And so it's dangerous to start thinking of yourself as causing this if uh, your spouse is engaged in these behaviors. And so you just need to stop that um, and ask the Lord to help you with that. And then focus on passages like Psalm 139. That's, that's who you are. You know, that's really who you are in God's eyes. And we're hoping in your spouse's eyes as well. As we close today, what would you say to that teenager or that husband or whoever it may be that hasn't got caught yet or that has got caught in the past, but they're currently uh, back at it? What would you say to that person? What, what can you give them in the way of a rebuke and what can you give them in way of hope? Well, I want to encourage them to repent. And, you know, we talk about sin a lot. We see we talk about homosexuality. We talk about all kinds of sins that are out there. And that's kind of what Nathan did with David. He said, you are the man, you know, uh, you're the one taking this one sheep, this one lamb from someone else. So number one, we need to repent of this. It's serious. It's, it inhibits our ability to be fathers or mothers, to be the kinds of parents, to be the kind of people, you know, that God wants us to be. Now, I know some people are thinking, but I have repented. And I've tried to stop and I keep going back into it. And some people think they can't, you know, be remade and uh, they can't be changed. And so that brings me back to a question I got from sex offenders once. They're like, we're doomed. Uh, we've committed these terrible acts. God can never forgive us. And I talked to them about 
Jeremiah and his story about the potter. So God can take the most marred vessel. He can reshape it into a wonderful thing. And so God can do that with you. Now, you can't assume that your desire to do inappropriate things, these kinds of sins is just going to go away, but it will diminish. And so we, we have a decision to make. Do we feed the flesh or do we feed the spirit? And if we feed the flesh, it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. If we feed the flesh or if we feed the spirit, each time we make a good decision, it gets easier to make better decisions. And when you feed the spirit, the Holy Spirit, then he ends up empowering you more. He ends up making you stronger, making it easier for you to withstand these kinds of temptations. And one day you wake up and you're thinking, wow, uh, I used to be like this, but now I'm like that. I got to go and help someone else out of this. And that's part of what David prayed in Psalm 51. He asked that the Lord would help him to go forth and teach transgressors. And so the best thing to learn how to do something is to teach it. And so you're on the offense, you get out of this stuff, then you're trying to teach other people how to stay away from it, how to avoid it, and always alert that but for you know staying close to the Lord, you can be right back into all of that again. And, and I always give the example of Solomon. He gave us a lot of examples on how to stay out of this in the book of Proverbs. He gave us the book of the Song of Solomon, you know, and, and yet he still had this problem, which is similar really to pornography. When you think about how many images someone can see through pornography, that's similar to kind of thing that Solomon faced with his many wives and concubines. And so if that guy can get in this, get that entangled in this kind of sin, then any of us can, if we're not vigilant and on target with this. So let us repent, get clean, get out of it and get busy helping others to avoid these same kinds of sins. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Moody. I know we've taken a lot of, of your time today, but I, I definitely think uh, this would be helpful to uh, our audience. It's certainly something, as I said earlier, it's affected every family, I'm sure, in one way or another. Um, so thank you for taking a few minutes to share thank with us today. Thank you for thank you for your time too, Daryl. I appreciate you doing this and doing these wonderful podcasts, my friend. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Dr. Moody.